Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. Quentin, we have been talking about doing a podcast for so long now, and we're finally doing it. Yes. Very exciting. Yeah. You you and I have talked way into the eaves of the night about motorcycles, and I think that's kind of the premise of the show is just us as two motorcycling enthusiasts to just have conversations about motorcycling, what's going on in the industry, what we're doing on bikes. Uh, the fun we're having, the mishaps we're having, and uh, I think a lot of our conversations uh, have been pretty interesting. We wanted to, to share them with other people. Absolutely, there's there's plenty of content that I think that's what we saw when we were, we'd be talking. We we're like, you know what, a fly on the wall would probably be, be entertained. A, a motorcycling fly on the wall would probably be quasi entertained at what we're talking about. It, like, at, that's at the, the plan, at least, right? At the worst of times. <laughs> so possibly, if we could make it sound okay sit down in a room and have these chats with a bit of structure to talk about specific things that are happening week in and week out. It, it makes sense. So that was the, uh, the catalyst. Yeah, here we are. I think we should probably introduce ourselves to our listeners who may not be as acquainted with you and I. Sure. So, so why don't you give me your, your breakdown, your bio? My bio is that I am originally from Central Texas. I was born in Wyoming, of all places, while my dad was doing postdoctorate work at a university in Laramie, uh, then lived in Texas basically from the time I was months old till I was about 20 ish. Um, from Texas, um, went to the motorcycle mechanics Institute. Then I worked at a bunch of different shops in the Los Angeles area. Cause I went to the motorcycle mechanics Institute that was in Phoenix. This is a trade school to learn to work on bikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, lived in and around the LA area for 10 years, uh, worked at Burt's motorcycle mall, worked at pro Italia motors, which is a, a, a famed Ducati shop down there, had a, uh, shop of my own for a little bit, then worked at Graves team Graves Yamaha as a chassis technician, um, then moved up to Portland back what, in, what riders did you work with at Graves? I worked with first Aaron Gobert, who was Anthony Gobert's little brother. Mm-hmm. Then I worked with Eric Bostrom. Then I also in the, in the mix of that, you end up working with a lot of different people just by virtue of being part of the team. So I did some time with Jason DeSalvo, uh, built Josh Heron's first AMA 600s. Or at least his Weira. No, I built built his first Weira National Championship 600s back in the day. Um, those were the main people I worked with. I also worked at the same time. I was allowed to work on on another team where I called uh, Hypercycle Suzuki, and I would do every year the Toyota 200. So I worked with Steve Rapp and Michael Barnes and Mike Hale. So I'd, I'd been around, I'd re- been around back in that era a lot, working in the in the AMA races. But I also raced myself. So when I was start, when I was at Pro Italia, I started racing 125s back in. This was 19, 2000, year 2000. I started racing 125s. Before that, I raced mini bikes. So from a from a motorcycling standpoint, I had uh, learned to work on them at a motorcycle mechanics institute, and uh, then just kind of parlayed that into racing, working on them, working on race bikes for myself and then for others. Then I moved up here in, uh, to Portland, Oregon in 2007 to work for Motosys. Uh, Motosys was a, 
a startup motorcycle company where Michael Sizz wanted to build a uh, viable MotoGP bike out of the United States. So when I got there, it had been a few years into it, and I um, was there until the end of, effectively the end of the piston engine, Moto Sizz C1, right as he was getting into electric bikes. Then I started working at Ducati North America as a uh, regional rep, and I did that from... 2009 until just recently. Now I'm a man about the industry uh, and will be hopefully finding employment somewhere soon. But right now I'm I'm a free agent. Yeah, I don't think anyone's worried about uh, where you're going to land. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that that is my story. As far as motorcycling goes, I, it started when I my dad had mo- bikes. I had, I had a motorcycle, a, a XL125, and it was always considered kind of a pariah sitting in the garage. My mom hated it. It was considered just a dangerous, bad thing. I didn't like it. I was into cars. So um, when I was a kid, motorcycles weren't a factor. But at some point in time, I think it was about 15, he bought another bike to to replace that one. That's when I learned to ride. I learned how to ride a motorcycle before I learned how to drive a car. And, it, and it, I just haven't stopped since. So uh, from, from having a Honda NX125, which is what my dad bought, to replace the XL, um, I had a VTR 250, then I had a CBR 600, and then I had a Ducati SD2, and and those were the the bulk of my beginning motorcycling years were done on those machines. Um, from the SD2, um, I've had a, a succession of bikes in the in the recent years: Street Fighters A48 race bike, uh, Street Fighter A48 and 1098 Multistrada. Uh, and plus I just ride all kinds of different machines everywhere. Right. I have a, I have a, a, a Honda CRF 250 that has a Christini two wheel drive kit on it. And I've had that since 2009. I ride that everywhere in Oregon. I have an XR 650 L that has been transformed into a quasi LR. Um, so it's a lightweight, um, um, but with a plate Honda and I enjoy riding now off-road as much as I do on-road, but I have only been doing that probably for the past probably about eight years, right? So as far as road stuff, that's my core, but over the past few years, I've been enjoying off-road just as much. What about yourself? Where, where was your first motorcycle? Where did you start with motorcycles? Yeah, I definitely grew up, um, so I grew up in California, in the Bay Area. I was a sixth-generation Californian, so we're, we're hardcore about it. But which is rare. It's just rare. I mean, family literally came over in the Donner Party. That's why I can't. If I get a little too peckish, yeah, I got to be careful. Blood sugar drops. Uh-huh. Got to be careful. Do I need to have like a shield or no, something over here? Yeah, I think. No, I just okay. need to make sure you're provided with plenty of Mountain Dew. Right. Helps. That's why I drink <laughs> the Mountain Dew. It's got that sugar. It keeps me going. No. Um, I very much grew up in a household where motorcycles were forbidden. My father had lost a friend on a motorcycle. My mom. You know, I was such an accident-prone kid as a child really oh my god i mean you name it i probably did it i got shot. accident prone or were you just not risk averse like you would do stuff both both like okay. i totally got hit by a car i got shot by a bone arrow i cracked my head open my leg has a huge scar on it where just pretty much my entire leg came out through the skin and i mean you from doing what Oh, it's just a weird story. Okay. It's just right. too that's, weird that's to get into. Long Bottom line is you're accident I was, prone. I was in first grade. And they were like, yeah. you're not getting a motorcycle by a long yeah, shot. My poor mother. My poor mother. I climbed. And that was the thing. Like, I climbed trees. Uh, we lived right by a big hill. I would go look for rattlesnakes. Like, So I was definitely that like 
not risk averse child that would just go out looking for trouble. So probably good that I lived in that household. But I was like you, I was really into cars growing up and I had on my walls, you know, like Ferrari F40, uh, Lamborghini Countach, you know, spiders and Alfa Romeos. I'm really usually like Italian cars, but also German cars. I remember I had a, we had a friend who raced an Audi or not an Audi, uh, an Acura NSX GT lights car. Hmm. And so I had a picture of that on on my wall and you name it. If it had four wheels and went fast, I was really into a GT40, probably one of my favorite cars, you know, just such a, such a petrol head in that way as like, as a young kid. Sure. And, um, but also you were a boy scout, right? Like a heavy duty. I was an Eagle scout. Yeah. Eagles. So that means you had an appreciation for both the mechanical, but also nature. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm the son of a botanist. Right. Right. But full on PhD biologist father. Right. So who was a gearhead, but both my parents, they met through right. for Brit British sports cars. Right. Well, that, and that was my thing. Cause my, my family was not into that. So for me, it was like, I was into cars and that passion probably would have been fueled more had my, my father been into it uh, himself or if we'd had kind of friends with it. So I didn't really loop back into that until I was about 16 and finally got a car. And like I had a, one of my good friends growing up, um, he, he and his dad were building cars together. So, you know, I'd be over at their house all the time, eventually got exposed to it. But for me, motorcycling really came when I turned 18 because it was very much not in this house, not yeah. while you live in this house kind of thing. And you were so, all about rebelling? No, no not really? but it was just very much like I started, like I drove a piece of shit car and it was you know just slow and i didn't and have the only hope for you to be cool was that be on a motorcycle then even then not enough help same not here yeah same here it was but, desperate but for me it was very much like i had like i remember i had like three grand saved up and i was like oh i can get i could either like you know get like some total junker car and try and learn how to to work on it because i never did auto shop or anything like that i didn't have anyone you know show me how to do it so i had to learn it all myself and i was like well, that's that's more than I can chew. I don't have anywhere to save a car. I'm going to college, but I can afford a motorcycle. I can afford a Honda CBR 600 F2. I picked it up for 3,500 bucks and uh, had like 28,000. Which miles is really on. bizarre because my first big bike from the VTR 250 was a CBR 600 F2 that I bought for, I'm pretty sure it was $3,500. And you know what? You can still buy a CBR know, 600 right? FT for $3,500. I, I just saw one on Craigslist yeah. the other day, and that's exactly what it was. And it was clean. Yeah. And it was tempting. Cause it was so bizarre. And that's the thing. So I rode that around. Uh, I went to a college in Santa Barbara. Perfect place for a motorcycle. And that was, that was the thing. Like, I remember... I'm moving out of the house. Sorry, mom. From the Bay Area. From the Bay Area. From the bowels, or where is the East Bay, right? East Bay, yeah. East so Bay. from the East Bay down to Santa Barbara, from from what is one of the nicest places in the world to what is probably the nicest place in the world. Right, exactly. Life of privilege for sure. But but it's one of those things too where I'm looking at like okay, so parking a car on campus was ridiculous, and you they say you shouldn't have a car for college, and they're totally right. But I'm looking at that spike and like it's 400 bucks a year for a parking pass. I can be that cool guy that rides around on a motorcycle, done, sold, bought it. And I was really lucky. I got, uh, I met some really good guys who I'm still friends with to this day who I just went riding with a week ago. Oh, those gentlemen ago. that I met just yeah. recently, they were formative motorcycling people for you? Yeah. In the, yeah. Okay, I didn't so understand. So I remember, so they were all a part of, they all, there was this house of guys, four guys that all lived together. They all rode bikes and they all had, they all represented the Japanese manufacturers. One guy had a Yamaha. One guy had a Honda. One guy had a Suzuki. One guy yeah. had a... Um, I lost Kawasaki. track. Thank you. I lost the thread. 
Um, so it was kind of funny in that way. So I met one of them in the parking lot in the motorcycle parking lot one day at the um, university center, and he's like, "Hey, we should go for a ride." And cool bike, da 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 da. And we go and we ride. And long story short, we actually started a business together four years later, and it you know totally imploded like most businesses do. But it was it was a big part of getting me into motorcycles and I can remember, I can tell you the day definitively when I got hooked because I was watching world Superbike, Colin Edwards, Troy Bayless battling that Imola Imola. Yeah. Done. Got it. Totally got it. It was awesome. Hook line and sinker. And I actually got to tell Colin Edwards that, uh, when he announced his retirement and it was probably like, it brought it all together for me. Yeah. Nice big circular thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So get into that. And then I go and I do my first track day and I, I've sold the CBR by this point. I got knocked over in a parking lot and I sold it for $3,500. Sure you know, didn't lose a dime on it. And I bought a Suzuki TL1000R. It's, um, you know, it's big 1000cc V-twin. Supposed to race since Superbike. The poor man's Ducati. The poor man's Ducati. It was a cool <laughs> bike. I liked it. And uh, that got me really into the online side of motorcycling and into forums. And I ended up owning some forums. Including the TL forum. And including which the is TL that, That's forum. a notable thing, right? Because the type of people that I would assume are going to get onto this broadcast are people that have been in the industry in a while in these forums over the past 15 years. It's a big part of the industry. For, for a lot of us... To to the detriment because we hate forums and we hate oh, the chatter. God. I can't deal with it anymore. It's horrible. I had to get out. But I, I love. There's some amazing people and there's some great and they're great resources. But there's so much groupthink and it got to the point where I had to I had to get out. But I was lucky because that allowed me to start asphalt and rubber. And at this point, I was living back east, going to grad school, and I'd bought an R1. And where were you going to grad school? Penn State. And was, you were. Uh, Studying what? So I started out studying law, got my law degree, and then I stayed on for the the punishment of getting my business degree. So when I was in law school, for me, because I hated my classmates so much, there's a reason lawyers have a bad bad <laughs> rap. They are, I'd say like 90% of my classmates were horrible people. Just horrible people. Wow. And... Um, it's rough to rough to hear it's that bad. And do you feel it was that that goes along with the life choice of being a lawyer? It you know, it was really interesting. I remember the the first like day of school, one of our class uh I forget what class it was, but the professor asks us, you know, why do you want to become a lawyer? And he starts like, you know, how many people are people here trying to like solve a social injustice? How many people here are trying you know, we're like raising our hands and how many people here are because their parents are lawyers and like how many people here are just here to make some money? Like 80% of the class raise yeah, their hand. That. We're just here for a paycheck. Yeah. And and I should, you know, always be careful of generalizations. There's some amazing people I met And it was Penn State, right? It was Penn State. We're in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Harrisburg. And the only reason Carlisle exists is because two major freeways intersect there and the Army War College is there. And it's where the annual Corvette show is. <laughs> yeah. So sure. that's, that's Cumberland County. But... For me, my escape and my way of dealing with law school, which is extremely strenuous and extremely stressful, my escape was to go to the track. And I had an R1. I had bought it in 2004. And I rode around my which last Which was the, at the time the new R1 of that era. The, right, right. That was the first was the Intertel exhaust. Um, then that I, was the bike that I worked on as a me- mechanic at, right. at Graves. Small world. Right. So. Yeah. So I'd ridden it around Santa Barbara, and when I moved back east with the seasons, uh, I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to ride on the track. The insurance here is kind of crazy to only ride like four months out of the year because of the way my schedule was. It didn't make sense. So I did like 
20 track days a season or whatever. And I was just a junkie. And uh, that's what really got me into the track. Because I had gone to the track, I think, twice in California. It wasn't until I got to Pennsylvania and I started riding with Nesba um, that I really got that track bug. And I just, for me, it was great because I could just do my classes Monday through Friday, take a Saturday or Sunday off, go out to what was called Beaver Run at the time. And now it's called something else. I don't even know. It's not Beaver Run? No, they changed the name. Beaver Run sounded a little too weird, I'm sure. But other Summit, um, Pocono, New Jersey Motorsports Park, uh, Nelson Ridges. Nelson's Ledges. Ledges. Yeah, see, it's already right. starting to percolate out of the sure. brain. M- Mid-Ohio, did you ever get to Mid-Ohio? Never got to Mid-Ohio. No, it's, that's yeah. one of my... Mid-Ohio, VIR, big regrets not going there. Yeah. So I've raced VIR on a 125. It was an excellent time, but I've the Mid-Ohio is one that I've always wanted to ride at. Both those tracks are yeah. epic. So um, then it went over... Let's bucket list that. Yeah. We, we should go to Mid-Ohio next year. Done. I'm, I mean, it's in Ohio, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll make it happen. All right. I just both, both my parents are from Ohio, so okay. I have a I have a reason. Fair enough. Okay. Um. So then I lived overseas for a little bit, and I, I didn't motorcycle a lot over there, but a little, and I got to understand. What were you doing overseas? Where did you live, and what? So were you I doing? lived in Italy for a little while, studying law. I lived in Florence, which there was more Americans than Italians there, so <laughs> it's just yeah, it's like little Italy in New York, really. Um. And then I lived in Holland for uh about seven months working for the UN prosecuting war criminals. So a bit of a change came back to the U S started business school and then the recession hit. And the long, so you wait, did you go back to Penn state after yeah, going I doing, from I did prosecuting a, war criminals? Yeah. Mostly what was it for Slovenian, Slovakian, Slo- former Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia and the Rwandan genocide. Oh man, it's tough stuff, but it's interesting. A good right? contrast on how people can kill other people. Yeah. I bet. I bet. And they both went about it in very different ways. I think it's of note for the podcast though. Seriously, for people to really want to understand m- more than just on a, on a skin level, sure. like who we are. It's sure. cool to hear that type of stuff. So it's a then, weird one. It's then a weird you one. went back to business school after that. Yeah. Well, I was doing a joint degree program, so it was just a lot of work. You're basically doing five years of school in four years. The important part is in business school the last year is when I started Asphalt and Rubber and basically was just looking. Was uh, it as like a thesis? No, no, no. I was not paying attention in a corporate finance class. We're talking about weighted average cost of capital. And I'm like, whatever. I'm starting a WordPress blog. <laughs> and you is, know, at the time. What is WordPress? Is that a That's a, the, a the content management system that Asphalt and Rubber uses and a lot of other sites use. Okay. It's one of I the most popular blogging platforms in the okay. world. So if you a Tumblr, is that a WordPress Tumblr thing? is its own thing. Okay. But it's a similar thing. Uh, sure. On the very highest of levels, yes. So I was basically, so this is 2009. I was looking for a job. I had a quarter million dollars in debt. I had four degrees. I was overeducated, underemployed, and I was terrified because I was going to come out of school like most uh, grad students and college students at that time, unemployed. And I'd never been unemployed in my life. I'd had pretty much a job of some form or another since I was a kid. Like I worked for my dad and like we used to grow pumpkins and weird things like that, but the from the age of 14 on, I had a real job ever since. And I like so, one of the best ones I remember was you worked for the a sorority. Yeah, college. That That's yeah. a really good job. It was a good time. It was yeah. a good job. What was, this, what was the situation again? So we started out, so this is actually good. This, is, this goes right back into motorcycling. So my motorcycling buddies that I'd met, that house of four guys, they all worked at the Alpha Fee sorority house in Santa Barbara. Alpha what? Alpha Fee, all for free. 
Alpha Phi. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all for free. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. It just rattles off the tongue. Oh, it lots rolls off the tongue there. But sure. so they all worked there and they got me the job there. And it was a good gig because you get all the food. Were you, you like the eat. IT guy? No, I started out in the kitchen. I was cleaning plates and dishes okay. and serving sure. food and helping the cook. And it just sucked. But we got, you know, paid three hours for about 30 minutes of work. We flirted with girls all day and we got free food out of it. it yeah. Not only did we get a meal, but we got as much food as we could carry home with us because yeah. these girls didn't eat any food. So we got their leftovers. So it's fine. Piece of cake. Wow. And then that morphed into me piece doing... Piece of cake. Get it? Piece of cake. Ba-dum-tsh. So good. Uh, that morphed into me doing IT work for them because they were all getting their like computers spammed and hacked and whatever. And Sure. Um, I'm a big nerd, so that worked out really well. And yeah, that was actually a killing. I was making a mint in money. Just hang out with hot sorority girls for a couple hours every evening. All right. So I'm sorry to segue, but I thought that was a good one. So you worked through school. Oh, I had four jobs at one point in college. Got yeah. it. I mean, I'm I'm working my hiney off. Okay. So then once you got at once everything's done and the economy had imploded by 2009. Totally imploded. And you were wondering what you were going to do. Yeah. And I wanted to go into venture capital or like corporate development, which were two industries that did not exist in 2009. There was no money out there there was no nobody was venturing level. with any capital no there's nothing and there was nobody developing anything nothing corporate. corporately was not developed so and i'm sitting there going well, what the heck am i going to do and uh i got this idea well you know maybe i'll work in the motorcycle industry i love motorcycles at this point i'm totally hooked on them they're my passion and i don't know anyone in the motorcycle industry so i'll start a blog and you know while i'm sending out these resumes you know cold calling you know trying to get like a marketing position or a corporate strategy product development whatever i can you know con my way into basically with no industry experience and i figured you know just better have something good pop up on google so i'll start this blog and i'll write huh. some stories okay and maybe you know maybe that'll help me get a job and help me this way and it also turned out like it's a lot easier to get an interview with someone, if you say you're writing a story, then in, especially in 2009, then I, Hey, I'd like a job. So that's yeah. actually how I met Michael Sizz. He was my first interview. Huh. And I was like, Moda Sizz, like that might be an interesting place to work. I like what they're kind of doing. You know, it's a lot easier to say, Hey Michael, I would like to talk to you about what you're doing with EV platform, you know, EV vehicles, yeah. electric vehicles, and what you're doing with that platform and your modular design and your transition from gas. It'd be great if uh, we could set a, a, set up a date and have a chat. And then, you know, you get face to face. Oh, hey, by the way, yeah, I'm graduating soon. This is my, this is <laughs> like my short resume and I got the FaceTime and hopefully I don't come across like a complete uh, lunatic and um, didn't really pan out. But but was, that's one that of the, the thing. One of the things that was the impetus to get it started. Right. Exactly. But then it became a thing that you were well, yeah, doing so, good at. So, yeah, I mean, it was weird. The, the first month we had like 100 readers, which are literally family and friends. And then the second month we had a thousand readers. Now that was really the weird time. I was like, huh, that's like friends of friends. That's like people word of mouth. Yeah. Um, it had grown organically. And yeah. And so by the time, so I graduated school, I came back to California. I took the California bar exam. By the time that was all done, it was almost a year later and I had a hundred thousand readers. And you have to understand too, this is like the early days of Twitter and Facebook. So social media is huge. And so I'm like just promoting this on social media and I just writing three articles a day kind of thing. And uh, I'm sitting there trying to find like jobs. I'm like emailing Facebook and Google and I'm working every connection, every friend living in the Bay area at the time, living in the Bay area. And I I had this epiphany one day, like, why am I looking for a job when this could be one? It's not to the point now, like I was making 
I was making money, but like not or anything. Serious. Not to make it, not to live off of. Nothing to live off of, not even close. But it was one of those ideas of, you know, but if I put some time and some energy into this, you know, like it's not that far off. Like it's, it's, it's great pocket money right now, but it could be living money if I, if I tried harder or if I put some more energy into it. So I literally moved into my mom's basement. It, you know, imagine you are, I was like 28 at the time, 28, living with my mom, blogging. And what that single scene looks like in San Francisco, mm. like, hey, girl, mm-hmm. you want to come back to my mom's garage mm-hmm. and uh, show mm-hmm. my blog post? <laughs> Soul crushing. Soul. It was a wake up at dawn, swallow my pride, 16 hour day job. But it paid off. Um, you know, we look at it now and, you know, our high months, you know, I'm projecting this year we'll do about 1.5 million readers a month. Which is That's not, a large amount. Not too shabby. So Asphalt and Rubber is... I wouldn't say it's the largest motorcycle blog out there, but we're definitely one of the larger publications. We're really small. Uh, I probably still do about 75% of the content, and we've got a MotoGP columnist, David Emmett. Uh, Tony Goldsmith takes our photos in MotoGP. We've got some other great columnists and people behind the scenes who handle our servers, have a, handle our code, our web design. Hopefully, But you get, still do a lot of that back-end I stuff. Do a lot I of remember it too. you... Not I'm too a, long ago, you were down in the Bay Area uh, swapping uh, out servers yourself, like yep. like hardware, changing hardware. Right? Yeah, well, that's because our server guy lives in New York now, so the hands-on stuff we have to do. But we're about to move to Amazon Cloud, and I'll make that redundant, which is more technical than probably it needs to be. But the, the, short, the short of it is I'm slowly trying to replace myself, but I'm very much still involved in the day-to-day of it. And Asphalt and Rubber is very much a reflection of me as a motorcyclist, like the name itself, Asphalt and Rubber. I'm a street bike guy or say I was a street bike guy. I'm getting, you know, hanging out with you more now. Like I'm getting into riding the dirt scene and riding the trails here in Oregon and getting into that part of the industry. But coming up from motorcycling in SoCal, track days in the East Coast, motorcycling scene in San Francisco, like I'm a sport bike guy. I'm a track guy. Uh, I don't have a, I've never gone racing in a serious fashion. But that's part of what, so that's what is an interesting thing about you being an enthusiast and the, the juxtaposition to me, and it really isn't, I wouldn't call it juxtaposition, right? But it's a good blend, whatever it is. It's a good There's blend definitely some because there, you, right? you have experience in ways that I have no clue. And then I have experience in ways that you might want to have a clue, right? Yeah. Like I don't want to create a blog or have a server and think about zeros and ones and right. That's not my gig. But I think both of us have these voices, and I, from a journalistic standpoint, something that I always wanted to do. When I moved to L.A., one of the things I was doing while working at, say, Burt's Motorcycle Mall was attempting to get an uh, education as a journalist and as a designer in right. Pasadena. Right? You went to Design Center, right? Well, I, I took a couple of night classes at Art Center College of Design, yeah. trying to think, oh, is this what I can do? Is this what I want to do? And then I got a job at Pro Italia and just started making money and as a mechanic and you know, just right? making it rain. Well, I wouldn't say it's making it rain, but I was making enough to live in a in a hovel in Altadena, California, yeah. and race a 125 and or mini bikes and and continue on right and gain experience and do things, which is a really it was it was a I've been just super fortunate. So both of us have been very fortunate in our in our the continuums of our motorcycling days and it's a it's a neat thing to be able to talk about because we have fairly unique uh, views on how the motorcycle industry is and how it should be and how it might be right yeah i would say i would say the the biggest compliment that we have between each other is i feel like you're very much one of those people that grew up inside the industry 
or, or, or came into it. You've been in. I've it been in it so, so long. long. Yeah, right. Sure. I can't. Run, I can't run into someone now that doesn't know you. Whereas I still. I mean, this isn't so much true now. But when I started, like, I'm an outsider. I came into this as an enthusiast from the outside looking in, and seeing, you know, from a business perspective and a legal framework, like how things worked. So I have my own little unique construct, having not been on the inside of it. But I think that's very much how asphalt and rubber is is set up. Is like, you know, this is an outsider's perspective looking in on the industry. It's very much a critique yeah. on the industry itself. We run stories about other publications. We run stories about what a manufacturer is doing as a business. We, you know, talk about finance. We talk about legal issues. We also talk a lot about the news. We talk about racing. We have all, which know, is why the enthusiast podcast is perfect because we can do the same thing. Right. And that's how our conversation started. Right. Right. We sit here and we, we jibber jab about our, our different perspectives. So there's a pretty good overview of the, of, of what the two enthusiast podcast is. Yeah. Do you think we need to get any more in depth than that? Um, no, I mean, the only thing I was going to, I was going to bring up. So I've never, I don't have a racing license. I've never gone racing. That's obviously something that I think we'll save for another show, but you obviously have a lot of experience. Why don't you quickly go over your racing resume? Okay. Uh, I've raced mini bikes with the CM which no longer exists. It was a mini bike, California CM motorcycle road racing association. And this was back in the day when YSR fifties were still very popular. And then Yamaha made a small sport bike that it was, wasn't a pocket bike and bridged the gap between a big bike and a pocket bike. And it was 12 inch wheels and they would race them, uh, and go-kart tracks around Southern California. I managed to get in. That's a whole nother story, but I got in doing that raced for a year in 99, then got a 125 cheaply by trading a YSR for one. And then, uh, raced 125s from, let me see, it's 2000, 2001, 2002, um, I was second in the USGPRU championship in 02, uh, which was a national series. I raced AMA in 03 on a 600 for a few races till the money ran out. Stopped because, I mean, once you get to that level, it's cubic dollars. Uh, started working for race teams and then stopped racing basically for years. I think I did a one-off on a GSXR that, that Carrie Andrew from Hypercycle and I had built uh, uh, after hours at Willow and had some success, but that was about the only time I, I, I raced up until 2010 started back up again. Once I started working for Ducati and had enough money and had the ability to, to, to work on the bikes and be in it. Uh, so I did a couple of AMA races over, let me see in 2011, I did a couple of AMA races and in 2013 I did one and I've never mid pack, mid the back of the pack guy. Right. But I can qualify for an AMA race. If, uh, if, if the opportunity, uh, presents itself, that would be moto America now. Um, not, not, do you the, still have a race license then with them? Not, no, I did not get a moto America race license. Okay. Right. I don't even know what it would take to do, but I would assume with the resume I have, I could probably get one. Um, it just, from from my standpoint, it's it's a lot of money every time you go and race. Sure. And if I'm going to go race in the local club level, it's fun. But if you're going to spend nearly the same amount of money, I'd rather go and do it in the big show, right? If I'm going to risk my butt, I'd rather be doing it with a bunch of people that are quasi-professionals than a local group that is filled with a lot of testosterone-addled youngsters, really, right. and, and, and guys in their mid-20s that are on bikes that they shouldn't be on, et cetera. So that was one of the things that's kind of like, I like to go race locally, but I don't that often. My A48's still sitting in the, in the garage. I haven't been out on in a while, and I should do. 
I re, uh, worked as a uh, as a rider coach for a couple of local track day organizations. When I worked at Pro Italia, we put on track days quite often, and I was always uh, part of the of the scene of helpers, right? So I've I've got a lot of experience on racetracks, right? But not a lot on the dirt, and until the past eight or so years, and now I've got enough but i'm not an expert there i'm right. like an intermediate dirt bike rider which i'm fine with being and i don't i could see racing but not i i have a competitive edge but not enough to have it drive me like right. I, I love to be faster than the guy in front of me but if you pass me and we're on a good section of track and you put a good move on me i'm the kind of person that's like respect right i'm like that is <laughs> awesome he totally just got me and i might try and get you back or whatever but i'm not going to risk my butt or your butt to do it not for a plastic trophy not for back of the pack and AMA. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So because I don't have that killer instinct drive, that's why I've always been just kind of like a eh, kind of fast, but not really that fast guy. It's an, an interesting dynamic for sure. Hmm. Probably that. a good conversation for a podcast. I feel like maybe a good podcast. Sure. Yeah. So well, that's my experience as far as some of it. <laughs> really, I, I'd count my my touring uh, I, I, have toured a lot. I put a lot of motor, miles on motorcycles and I think touring is still my favorite. if I had to pick something, you should put a gun to my head and said, you have to pick one type of motorcycling. It's going to be long distance touring, adventure mm. touring for sure. But long distance, that's what I like to do the most. That's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm getting more into the adventure touring side, but like putting down 500 miles on a bunch of asphalt is not something that appeals to me. Like flexing in my garage. Like I've got a Ducati street fighter. I got a Ducati hyper motard, two bikes. You don't want to ride far on. I've got a Husqvarna. SMR 511 Supermoto, which you can't ride on the freeway because it'll blow up. Sure. Uh, and I've got my R1 track bike. Yep. You know, like sure. for me, just sitting on a Goldwing or whatever, a Multistrada, whatever that is, and just pounding down miles, unless there's some curves that are being thrown in that I can go at a clip, does not appeal to me. My, no. my favorite ride is like 250 miles or less. Sure, but in Oregon, you can go. Like, that's oh, one of the yeah. reasons why this place is awesome. So we can head to Eastern Oregon and barely hit, I don't know, 10 miles of, of straight stretch at a time at sure. the most. Sure. And that's the beauty of being up here. Yeah, yeah, it only happens for a certain amount of time, mm -hmm. but that's why I love it. Whereas I can, man, I can chew miles. I can head down the five, go straight if I have to, and I don't mind it. I'm I'm okay with it. No, but just weird like I that. like the balance. You have to have balance of all of them. Sure, right? sure. And the, so that's what, from a... From, from the podcast standpoint, that is the interest. And what we'd like to impart to the readers is the, the passion and love for motorcycling across the continuum from, from the mini bikes to the dirt bikes to the street bikes to the race bikes yeah. and to the touring bikes and how much we're into it overall. And, and hopefully, since you and I are both so avid in the industry, we'll have some interesting stories on our journey along the way. Certainly. Absolutely. Good. Well, I think let's wrap this up. Uh, again, we're on Twitter, Facebook. We're also on iTunes. If you listen to us on iTunes, please leave a rating and a review. It would help us out greatly and uh, also help other motorcycling enthusiasts find this podcast. And with that, uh, thank you very much for listening. Till next time. Good talk. See you out there. Um, fast forward it because no one wants to hear about all that. Is a joint degree, like if that was in Santa Cruz, would that be a marijuana degree? Uh, no, it's marijuana studies. <laughs> But it's ass. totally a joint degree. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry, nobody likes. All right, that. so you came back. Just for the record, on this podcast, nobody likes Quentin. <laughs> nobody. If you like Quentin, I don't know who you are. Because I don't know anybody that likes Quentin. All right, back back to reality. Back to the non-joint study.